So our epistle this morning, we continue in Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, This time we're in chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, and Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So before I I go any further this morning, I have to tell you that you're going to find this particular message very interesting. I know this because, in full disclosure here, you're not the first ones to hear it. See, I gave this message to a group of doctors this weekend. And they were so impressed by it, they were so interested in this message, that they made me an honorary doctor right there on the spot gave me an honorary degree and everything. So I am now an honorary anesthesiologist. (laughs) Yes, is that what? Oh, I thought it was a good thing. No, I'm kidding. You are the first ones to hear this message, but you're not the first ones to hear this message Because I have been preaching this word. How long have I been here now? Two years? It'll be, it'll be three years in this coming July, I guess. So, yeah, uh, two years. And I have tried to get the point across, and I know many of you have received it, but I keep preaching it. Because it's so very important. And the important part, if you you have received this message, is that you don't keep it to yourself. It's extremely important that this message be shared and shared and shared until all come to this full understanding of what it is that we, the church are trying to accomplish here what our mission is in the world, which is to make disciples for Jesus Christ for the advancement of the kingdom. I have to tell you that story um, about the anesthesiologist. I Really, full disclosure, I stole that from one of my professors at Perkins, uh, Dr. Falk Landrum, who just happened to uh, retire that the, the class that I had with him was the last class 
that he taught in his career um, because he was retiring immediately after that. And he was, this is kind of an homage to him because he was one of the, the, just a brilliant teacher and a gifted preacher and pastor. And so he told that story about being an honorary anesthesiologist and that was so not Dr. Landrum because he was absolutely captivating when he preached. I, I would give my right arm, I guess, to, to be able to preach as effectively as Dr. Landrum. So back to our message. It, it's apparent by this account in Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica that the people in the church there were very much like people today when you consider that they were wondering what happens to us when we pass from this life to what comes next. And Paul is concerned for those people. He doesn't want them to grieve without hope. They're coming from a background of, of really pagan uh, religious practices. And so they don't have, they haven't grown up with even the the Jewish traditions of the one true God. They haven't grown up with any of that. And so they, they come with a lot of pagan baggage. And so he doesn't want them to grieve without hope for their loved ones who have gone before because now they're believers and they're saying, oh my goodness, you know, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, they missed out on this opportunity. Have you ever thought about that? The people who have gone before and, and have they missed out? It can be troubling to us. But Paul is writing to us here at Countryside also. It's not just addressed to the church in Thessalonica. He doesn't want us to grieve without hope for those we love who've died and gone on to glory. And verse 14 is clear here that those who have died in Christ are with him even now in heaven. Not only that, but when he returns for his church, when he comes back for us, they're going to be with him and we'll meet them in the air, the Bible says. Second Corinthians five, six through eight tells us that when we die as believers in Christ, we go immediately to be with God, straight to God. Remember the Monopoly thing? Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Go directly to jail. Well, this is go directly to God. There's no purgatory. There's no intermediate stop. We don't hang out for a while before we get to be in front of Jesus. No, we take our last breath here and we take our first breath there. It's instantaneous. Philippians 1.23 says... That when we depart from this life, we are with Christ. There is no need for sorrow. There is no need for hopelessness because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So why is Paul telling us this? I mean, most of us don't walk through our day-to-day -day activities wondering about this question. Although I have to admit... I've wondered about it on more than one occasion. Where's my brother? Where's my dad? What are they doing now? 
So Paul is telling us this for a couple of reasons. The first reason is we need to know that the key to resurrection from the dead, the key to being with God in heaven, the key to being reunited with our loved ones is that all of it, all of that depends on where we stand, where our loved ones stood with Jesus before they died. Jesus holds the keys to heaven. Jesus holds the keys to death and hell. That's from Revelations. It says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Revelation 1.18. Jesus has the keys. Jesus is at the center of all of that. Whether we are with God after we pass, whether our loved ones are with God after they pass, all of that centers on who we are in Christ before that time comes. And the second reason is because Paul wants us to know that Jesus is coming. It's as simple as that. He wants us to be aware that Jesus is coming. It's like we say when we have communion from the altar on the first Sunday of the month. The communion liturgy says Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Those aren't just words. That's a promise. The Lord is coming and we must be ready when he comes. If we want to be with God when we pass, if we want our loved ones to be with us and with God when they pass, we have all got to be ready. We've all got to be ready. Our gospel lesson in Matthew that Bobby read this morning is Jesus telling us that when he comes again, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten young bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. See, Jesus is frequently giving us illustrations about the kingdom of heaven. He says very often, the kingdom of heaven is light. The kingdom of heaven is like this or the kingdom of heaven is like that. If you really want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, if you want to know what heaven is like. Just read the Gospels and take note of every time Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. And then pay attention to what comes after that. And so Jesus said, God's kingdom is like 10 young virgins who took oil lamps and went out to greet the bridegroom. Five were silly and five were smart. The silly virgins took lamps, but no extra oil. The smart virgins took jars of oil to meet their lamps. The bridegroom didn't show up when they expected him and they all fell asleep. In the middle of the night, someone yelled out, he's here. The bridegroom is here. Go out and greet him. The ten virgins got up and got their lamps ready. The silly virgins said to the smart ones, Our lamps are going out. Lend us some of your oil. They answered, There might not be enough to go around. Go buy your own. They did, but while they were out buying oil, the bridegroom arrived. And when everyone who was there to greet him had gone into the wedding feast, the door was locked. 
Much later, the other virgins, the silly ones, showed up and knocked on the door saying, Master, we're here, let us in. And he answered, Do I know you? I don't think I know you. And so the point is, stay alert. You have no idea when he might arrive. That's Matthew 25, 1 through 13, paraphrased. Seems kind of mean of the of the smart virgins not to loan some of their oil to the silly ones, but that's really not the point. The point is, we were ready. What were you doing? We got ready. Where have you been? What was your priority that you weren't ready also? That's what they're saying. It may seem a little bit harsh, but when the bridegroom has arrived, it's a little too late. We may try to scramble and go get ready, but it's too late. Everyone's going into the wedding feast. The doors are going to be locked as soon as the last person's in. The last person who was ready. Not those who are scrambling to get ready. It's too late. Jesus says, I don't know you. I don't know you. Do I know you? Does Jesus know you? The point is, when he comes, we have to be ready. When he comes is not the time to decide to get our lives in order. It'll be too late by then. We'll miss it if we wait till then. The time to prepare is now. The time to get right with God is now. The time to accept Jesus as Savior is now. The time to lead our loved ones to Christ is now. The time to lead this community to Christ is now. We dare not wait lest he come and the wedding feast begins without us or those that we care about. And then the doors will be forever locked and those he does not know will be sent away. Don't let that harsh lesson be learned when it's too late. Get your lamps ready now. Because Jesus has come. As surely as I'm standing here before you, Jesus is coming and we all must be ready. We're about to enter the Advent season. We're celebrating the first coming of Jesus as the baby in the manger, the coming of the Messiah to become human and dwell among us. And all of that preparation, all of Jesus' coming and growing into ministry and his three years of ministry on the earth, his going to the cross, his dying, resurrecting, ascending into heaven, all of that is preparation for what? The second advent, the second coming. And I know I preach this message frequently. It comes from various scriptures. But the 
focus of the gospel is this message. And I do it because the message is urgent and the signs of the times point to his return being any time now. We don't know exactly when. Nobody knows. Jesus himself does not know when he will return. Only the Father knows. That's biblical. Only the Father knows. But one of these days, real soon, the father's going to say, Jesus, go get my children. And Jesus is going to jump on that white horse. And he is going to return with the host of heaven. All those that have gone before that have died in Christ. And he's going to come. And we will be taken up. To be with him. We don't know when, but Jesus says we know the harvest is near when we see the signs of the season evident in the trees. Are there signs of the season out there? Well, you'd have to be living under a rock not to know that there are signs of the season of the return of Christ. And that's not to make you afraid. Because as believers, we have nothing to fear. But if you don't know Jesus, if Jesus doesn't know you, it's time that you get to know him. It's time to get ready. Get your family ready. Get your friends ready. Get your community ready. Jesus is coming, and that is an event that none of us dare miss out on. I don't know that I can say it any more plainly. Look around you right now this morning. We're a little bit light in attendance this morning. That's true. Okay, but look around at this sanctuary this morning at all of the empty chairs. How many souls are there in this community that need Jesus? And if you think we're the only church in this community with empty chairs, look around. It's not a Methodist issue. It's a world issue. See, we have stacks of chairs in the corner back there that we could fill with souls that need Jesus Christ. And I know that one of these days, this place will be packed. How do I know that? Well, because eventually it will be very evident that we all need Jesus. And the day after he comes... Oh, yeah, it'll be standing room only in here. But then it'll be too late. 
I say that because there are schools of thought, interpretations of scripture that say that when Jesus comes to get his church, then the tribulation begins and there will be some that make it through the tribulation and ultimately accept Jesus Christ. That's biblical. But let me tell you how difficult that journey, that seven year tribulation period will be. Oh, read your Bible. Just surviving on a day to day basis in that seven year period. Well, let's just say the odds are not in your favor. Why am I talking about this here as we're gearing up for the Advent season? Well, I'm talking about it because as we go from the season after Pentecost, this this normal time, this ordinary time that we go through in the church until we get into the Advent season. We have been steadily working in this church. Our food pantry is feeding people. We're about to show the real meaning of Christmas to 125 kids who probably would not have any kind of Christmas unless this church was willing to do what we're about to do. This meeting that we're gonna have after is to talk about how we make that happen. But it's about so much more than that. If we can get a kid to understand that it's not really about Santa Claus, that's cool, that's fun, but it's not about what you get, it's about what you can give. If we can get them to see the nativity and to start asking questions about who is this Jesus, then we will have done some service for the kingdom of God. We've been doing the work and we don't do the work with the expectation that people will all of a sudden want to fill these seats. But I can tell you if we're diligent about spreading the message as we do the work, then the seats will fill. Ah, oh, there's so many things been put on my heart this morning. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. But I want to see this community come to Christ with all my heart I want to see that and I want to see you as the ministers of the faith leading them to Christ because nobody can do it in this community but you You are the ministers of the faith. Do you know that? Say, I know it. You are the ministers of the faith. My job is just to encourage you and to equip you, to give you some tools to use when you go out there. That's why I'm here. And you guys work so hard at it. I see it every day. And it's not about filling the seats, except for 
It's about filling the seeds. Because they have to be here to hear and to be encouraged. They have to be a part of the fellowship of the body of Christ, the church, so that they can be encouraged and they can stand up against all those forces, those powers, those evil principalities that are out there every day influencing, oppressing, depressing, stealing from them their joy, telling them that they're less than when they are valued children of God. They're valued children of God. They need to know that because some of them have absolutely no hope whatsoever. They don't understand how valuable they are. They don't get it because nobody's ever told them that. And so we have to be the ones to tell them. Bring them here where we can love on them the way that they deserve to be loved. That's what we need to do. It's a matter of priorities. And right now, if they're not in a church, not just this church, if they're not in a church, their priorities are misplaced. Because somewhere, somebody has told them that there's no hurry. That they can take their time. They can do their own thing until someday they might get their life together and pay a little bit of respect to God. But the message is not there is no hurry. The message is Jesus is coming. And we can't be out looking for oil for our lamps when he gets here. Can't be doing our own thing when he gets here. When he's ready to go into the wedding feast, we need to be ready too because the door will shut. The doors will be locked. And when we knock on the door at that point, it will be do I know you? I don't think I know you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.